welcome to the Agile BI podcast, where we chat with guests or sometimes just to ourselves about being agile with teams who are delivering data, analytics, and visualizations. Welcome to the Agile BI podcast. I'm Shane Gibson. I'm Blair Tempero. I'm Gerard DeBeer. Hey Jared, welcome. Thank you for joining Blair and me to, to have a little bit of chat today. Um, one of the things we kind of always start off with is asking you to tell us a little story about your background. So how you got into this world of Agile, uh, where you came from, where you've been. Yeah, so I, I've, I've been working in uh, data warehousing and, and BI for about seven, eight years now. I, I used to work in, in, in banking and uh, when I came to New Zealand, um, I sort of made a career a change and um, started working in government and um, sort of naturally progressed into this, this space of BI. Where I started was um, kind of just reporting. And then I got involved in a project uh, at one of the government agencies um, um, building a new data warehouse. I saw how the project being managed as a waterfall approach, um, it was actually just a total disaster. Finding out that well, that's ninety percent of the cases uh, when, when, a, when a project like in, in that form is being run. When I, when I changed positions at another agency, um, a similar approach was was used to gather requirements and uh, implement change um, with mixed results, mostly negative. And then we go went through a huge change in how we're going to approach this and moving more to an agile-ish sort of um, way of working which I found to be um, a lot more positive and had much better outcomes um, than the traditional approach. Excellent. Actually, I seem to remember that I was part of that waterfall project yes, uh, you were. a yeah. long, long time ago before I started my Agile journey. Um, and, you know, uh, the three of us worked on, on that new way of working. Yes, um, yeah. So I think kind of what we wanted to talk about today was, was one of the things we experimented with really, really early was this idea of could we prototype and then productionize? Yes. So, so when we, so at, the, at my current organisation, we um, went through a process to um, acquire a business intelligence tool um, because previously the organisation had a, a well mature data warehouse, and um, but the only interface into it was via Excel cubes and um, SSRS reports. So visualizing data, discovering insights, all of that was very minimal and very hard to do. So we realized that we needed to um, get a proper um, business intelligence tool, particularly of the new generation um, of discovery tools. And as part of the RFP process we went through, um, understanding, trying to understand better our, our requirements, one of the things that we discovered was that there was a need for us to be able to take something from a prototype and productionizing it. So the, the way that we envisioned doing that was that um, an analyst or um, somebody in a, a more from a business type focus needs a tool where they can quickly come up with a, um, an insight. Um, so loading a bunch of data, um, very quickly be able to, to blend different data sources together, creating some visualizations and, and, and discovering something of, of importance that we want to do, be able to repeat on a, on a regular basis. So taking the, that prototype that analyst or business person has then created, 
and then productionizing it in a way that is repeatable, maintainable, and easy to use. So we went through a, um, understanding a bit of a process of how that would work. So, and the capability of the tool was important for us to be able to do that. So with that, you can able, you would be able to lift what an analyst has done and hand it over to a developer who can then go and implement the solution um, in a data warehouse, for instance, by building a fact table review or something of that sort, and then be able to quickly repipe the the prototype that was created to be from a proper source mm -hmm. um, that then can be productionized and implemented in your production system. And and we've we've done that a few times now, um, and it actually works relatively well. I, I would say that the type of tool that you're using is important, but also the discipline that you have to apply to how you productionize. A lot of the new tools that is out there in the market allows people to, well, bypass any kind of formal data warehousing. There, is, um, there seems to be quite a bit of a, a drive these days to just get things out very quickly without thinking much about the long-term repercussions in well, how is that going to be maintained? How do you have maximum reusability of the artifacts that you are creating? Because it's easy to just employ more people and, and, and churning out more stuff, but in the long run, I think um, it is really detrimental to an organization's data governance. Yeah, so I agree in terms of um, where the market's gone, right? And I blame big data. Um, this time, right? Last time I blamed OLAP cubes, um, and I'm not sure <laughs> yes. in a couple more years what I'm going to blame next. I think data pipelines is the one that's starting to, to rear its ugly head as the new way of having chaos. Well, there, there's always chaos. Yeah. Um, there's always a new product that does things in a bit different way that allows you to do things you haven't been able to do before. But, you know, so for us, it's always the principle. So we have a very clear principle in our organization that any rules, any business rules that we apply needs to be in a managed system, which is our data warehouse. And that any kind of transformation or business rules that we, that we want to apply um, on the business intelligence side, well, th that has to be, there has to be very good reason for doing that. Um, and if not, then it has to be pushed back into your, your managed system. For me, it, it, it's a con, it, it's around the principles. I, I like that word because that's kind of where I've got to with the teams I'm working with at the moment. So what I say to them is, um, we can manage chaos, right? I'll give me an example, right? When you say we need to have uh, visibility of the rules, we can put a pattern in place that says when somebody writes some code, those rules in that code need to be exposed via a data catalog, right? And that's a minimum that they need to do yeah. to manage those rules. Yeah. So there's the management of it yeah. um, versus the reuse, yes. right? So if somebody's going to reuse that rule somewhere else or leverage it, then there's actually a whole lot more management or um, some more conformity of the way we work yes, that's yes. more important. So what I say to people, the teams at the moment is, it's okay, you know, because we talk about this middle area, right, this modelling environment. You know, can we land all the data in the lake, create these data pipelines that are unique bits of code that flow data out to a dashboard? And can we just consistently do that? And I say we can. There's some things we've got to watch out for, right? We have a scaling problem at some stage, oh. but most of the technologies now can handle that. Yeah. But what we have to be very clear is that we're never going to reuse components within that pipeline. Yeah. Right? Because... 
if we want to do that, now we have to bring in some different patterns and principles about reusability. Reusability of the concept, the data concept, you know, a customer product. Yeah. Reusability of the business rules. Reusability of the way we transform that data. Yeah. Reusability of the way we consume it. And that, that's the right-hand side version, right, is that we actually want a lot of reuse, which means we have to work differently all the way through. And so we want to make a decision of which one we kind of think we are. What we don't want to be in is in the middle. You know, chaos theory where everything's unique and that makes us fast, but we're expecting yeah. reuse. Yeah, that's not gonna happen, and, right? and, and we tried that as well. So we, we had a semantic layer in our warehouse that was used for our, um, for our cubes. And we thought, well, okay, so we can just reuse that uh, for our business intelligence tool that we now purchased. Um, and that didn't work um, because that semantic layer was designed and built for a very particular presentation layer in mind um, and the reusability was minimal so we had to we, we had to recreate a, a new semantic layer um, for um, for the BI tool although the principle was always again well we we want to have something at least that gives you um, it, it has to be layered so at some level in your warehouse, you need to have the artifacts and the objects created so that you, from there you can then farm it out to your different reporting systems. So whether it's a, a BI tool or, or a CAD reporting system, whatever. Um, so there is there is reuse. There is reusability um, if you design it well, but it's not probably at the presentation layer. So if we take that pattern, right, that layer layering pattern, where yeah. we have uh, we have some constraints by. Um, in place, which are based on those layers of where things can happen, you know. So typically, you you you'd hear the words staging, persistent staging, maybe data lake, but yeah. um, somewhere where you land the raw data in the form you found it, and you keep history over time. And that layer has some principles or patterns that you can't transform the way the data looks, and and so we put those things in place to to help us kind of reuse. So when you talk about prototype to production, you know. Is the analyst allowed to create all the layers in the prototype from source yes. all the way through? Yes. Do they have to create the prototype in a semi-layered way? No. Are they allowed to write one big code blob, or do they have to actually break it down into a series of code objects? Okay. So, so the the person who's doing the prototype is not a um, a disciplined developer. We're talking about an analyst who will go and write a piece of um, SQL, for instance and joining a whole bunch of tables that they don't care where it is. They don't care whether it's in your extract layer or your staging area or whether it's a spreadsheet down there from a website or whatever the case might be. They just want to get the data, put it together and do stuff with it. So it is atrocious code. It is not, it is not properly developed. It's just hacked together. It is not their role or their interest to do that in any way um, that that can just be lifted and shifted into a... Into a, a so you're saying they're not creating any them. objects at all no, at this stage? Some may, some may do that because it depends on their level of, mm. um, for instance, SQL skill, but I would not expect them to do that at all. It is then up to... It's called the shed. Yeah, exactly. So they can, they can, they can some will do it with 10 tables, maybe in a database or, you know, you know or, or just writing very complicated inner joins or left joins, whatever the case might be. But if we do decide that, okay, this thing, this output, it's about the output mm -hmm. of what the analyst has created. If we decide we want that output as a productionized, repeatable information product, then it is up to a data analyst to go 
and analyze what has been done in the code and then structuring it and modeling it appropriately to, do, to implement the data warehouse. So, so that's always given me a challenge, right? And the challenge, well, it's given me many challenges, but the first one I want to talk about is, so the analyst that hacks this prototype, right, who, who does it very, very quickly. Yes. They deliver the initial prototype back to the business owner, the product owner or, or the, the key user, uh, very, very quickly, right? And then the second round to automate it, to, to harden it, to make it managed and reusable and fit your layered architecture, uh, takes a lot longer. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so I've always struggled with the business owner where they go, but I've got what I want. Yeah. Why do I need to spend all these this iteration or this points or however you describe it? Okay, so there's two aspects to that. One would be if it's a once-off, then fine. Then the product owner has gotten what they wanted. There's, no, there's no, not going to be any energy spent to productionize that okay so we'll we'll take that it's been used we can archive it and we can keep it somewhere if they want to have that updated on a frequent basis with newest data then that's a different story then it become then it has to become part of our data governance and our data governance is about then okay managing how we do this and how we implement it so that we keep our people safe and that's about that so yes an analyst has gone and created something but we are not we are not putting a stamp of approval on that mm. we are not saying this is official data that can be used to make decisions, to, uh, to yeah. make decisions yeah. first of all um, to provide information to external parties or anything like that it's, it should not be used for that. And business business people understand that because we are very harsh on it. So again, right, um, so the behavior I've often seen is what I call the manual green button, right? Yes. The, the analyst goes, okay, I can't schedule it, I can't, you know, yes. but I'm just going to pull it up and every day I'm going to hit a major green button that I've written that refreshes the data. Well, the, well, the, 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 they are breaching our policy. Okay. Yeah. So and you have strong data governance or, or data yes. principles yeah. that say. Um, so actually it's quite, quite interesting. So I did a project many, many years ago um, back in the waterfall days and what we did is we actually color coded the reports yeah so I, I remember there was a, there was at some stage that um, people put the bronze silver gold type yeah and and actually depending on the logical environment you're working in so the yeah. analyst had access to us I think you know these days we call it a sample that's right but yeah. any content you create in the sample actually had a color scheme um, that that was different to the content that was in a managed part of the environment. Yeah, so we, actually that's a very good point. Mm -hmm. It's something that we should do and we haven't actually. Yeah. Um, because, but, because but making the, it visually different yeah, is a very Yeah, because the behavior good, then yeah. was I'd, I'd actually, because you know, we were experimenting at the time yeah. and what we found was when a senior executive got given a number, yeah. they said, oh, can I have a quick look at where you got it from? And all they were doing was looking at the color, right? It, and they were, it was almost like a spectrum of trust. And they were going, you know, when I talked to some of them, they said they, they had a conscious decision. They looked at where the, the data came, that the answer came from, and if it was in the trusted colour, they're like, I'm good, right? I'm, I'm going to take that to the board and, and I know that the, the rigour around that number is trustworthy. Yeah. Then they said, I said, oh, that's good. And so if it was the other colour, if it was like bronze, you, you just... You don't use you it. You don't really trust it. Well, them. no, they said no. They said then what they do is they bring into their trust of the person that gave it to them. Right? Do okay. do I have trust of this person? Have I worked with them for a long time? Have they consistently given me numbers that have been correct and validated? <laughs> so and you're, you're essentially using a prototype to make 
business yeah. decisions. Uh, we, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, they they're trusting the person who created the prototype. Because often, yeah. and, and what they said was, look, often the the value of using that information quickly from that mm. prototype, right? Of course, uh, yes. We, we don't actually, to get that answer, to make that decision, we, we don't actually have time yet to, to, to make it a trusted piece of information. That, that's fair, because yeah. there's a risk benefit analysis that you do in your head when you do this yeah. sort of thing, because it's been sort of I get exactly that, you know, whether you trust the individual who put it together. Um, but I think it'll... And also how important it is to actually yeah. make a decision right yeah. now. So you have to do it on a case-by-case basis. Right? Yes. If you're looking at trends, less trust is needed, maybe. If you want an exact number, yeah. Yeah, well, so, exactly. so what they were saying is, you know, some information to support the decision I'm about to make is better than no information if I can trust the... if I have the context of how trustworthy the information is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we found this, the same as well. So, you know, and it also depends on how much... Uh, exactly, the, the type of problem you're trying to solve and how much, well... What what is what is the um, consequence of getting it wrong? Yeah, versus not making a decision. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So if we think about that process again, so we so we go back to that investment by the business owner for the second round, right, uh, of of work to to make it more trusted. How do you do that, right? Normally we would say. Uh, the, the squad that's going to do development would engage with the product owner and, and the business owners or subject matter experts. We'd wireframe what they needed. Uh, we'd understand the core business events. We, we go through a repeatable process as a data squad, yeah. data analyst squad, that is a way of working to, to do this. With the prototype, does that shortcut it in some way? Well, do it you... does because you already have a wireframe in terms of the prototype. So well, the analyst has already created a dashboard and has that look and feel already that you understand what is what is the data elements is required to um, um, to build this thing. So you already know what it, how it needs to be put together to meet that. The only thing that is um, that needs some time to work out is to understand how the data was put together in the prototype. Mm-hmm. And that's where you need um, a data analyst or data modeler to go in and then just spend time with the person who created it to understand okay the logical process that they followed in acquiring the data and blending it with other data sources and putting it together. And once that's done, then the data model can just decide, okay, how do we how do we then create the structures? And, or, or maybe we already have the appropriate structures in your data warehouse. Um, if not, then, okay, then just fill in the blanks so um, of what needs to be developed. So that prototyping, is that typically done by the core central agile team, agile data analytics team? Or have you actually devolved it out to... No, it, it's, it, it happens with anybody. Um, so a lot of it comes from our um, innovation team, but there are other um, pockets in the organisation who does the same thing. Um, there are very, very capable people who have very technic- well, are very technically minded who does not find it very difficult to do this themselves. But then we just work closely with them. We get the right skilled people um, involved at the right time when they come to us and say, okay, we want this as a production um, information product. And we just work with them to understand, okay, what have they done? And then how would that be lifted into our uh, managed systems? And just following on to that, given their teams of one, potentially yeah. decentralized or, you know, the operating models, they're out doing self-service within the business groups, which yes. is awesome. Would you ever go back and validate that actually what they built was what the, the business owner and product owner actually wanted? Absolutely, that's Got critical. Right. Yeah. So so as part of that, we need to then understand what the intent was and also making sure that what they've done is actually matching that. 
Because it happens that they would do it in the wrong way. They did a joint wrong or they didn't use the appropriate data source that right. they should have used or something like that. It always happens because they don't, you know, there's, there's multiple things um, that, that they are not an expert in. They understand the business side of things, but not so much the data as, um, as much as right. we do because we have people who are experts in that and understanding the data sources. So it's working with them, understanding the intent, and then making sure, validating actually what they have done. Um, and it has happened a few times that it, it's actually, well, actually, you should have done it like this, right. and we'll do it properly. And that's, that's why we do, do it in this way. When, when we're productionizing something, is making sure that um, we're using the right data for the right purpose. And bringing in those things like peer review, data exactly, quality, yeah. actual writing tests to make yeah. sure the data's, the, the rules are matching what we thought they were, all, yeah. all that kind of good management of data versus yeah. uh, the Wild West. That's awesome. Do you find, though, that there are a bunch of individuals who prefer to prototype than doing the hard plumbing, let's call it. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the cool shit versus the, yes. uh, the hard shit. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but so use, using using a proper business diligence tool, you, you can find them quite easily. <laughs> um, it's just looking at what people are doing and what, what, they, what, they, what stuff they are building. And then you can go and have a conversation with them and say, hey, I see, I see you've built these things and these people are using it. Tell us more. What's going on here? Flesh your badge. Yeah. What's going on here? We're keen to help you out. Because yeah? that's one of the things I think you know, in, our, in our industry we've been particularly bad at is BI on BI, right? Is using you know, our data and analytics and BI techniques yeah. to actually see how much of our data is being used that we do present, how yes. much, you know, what, our, what content is being created yeah. uh, by our customers to inform us where we probably might want to suggest we invest next. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, yeah. do, we typically never have that visibility. No, um, and, and you know, there's still things that you don't know about. Um, we don't have full visibility about everything. And yeah, this, you know, the, 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 the new, this new generation of um, business intelligence tools, it's, it's, it's a blessing on one hand, but it is also a bit of a curse on the other. Uh, because it does, uh, you know, a lot of people talk, talking about democratization of data. But there, there, there is danger with that as well. You know, people need to also be very responsible um, with their um, usage, understanding, and sharing of data, and how that will be utilised to make serious decisions. And not just you know the monetary aspect of it, but there are also societal aspects to that that people have to really think hard about. It's not just oh, I gave you a number, and you know. There's no consequence. That number could influence a whole raft of other decisions, and people need to be need people need to realise that there's a huge responsibility in doing that. And and I think that comes back to the idea of data literacy, which is kind of hard to yeah. Yes, I I think what what we we missed was when we moved from centralised development and deployment to more of a self service. You know, yeah. we kind of started off with self service. BI or visualizations, yeah. and then we kind of move to self-service data to a degree, and yeah. then self-service analytics is, yes. is the new wave coming. Yeah. Yeah. We we enabled that from a technology point of view, but we we didn't really focus on the data literacy. Of we the, didn't build all the capability of people to but, do this, but not the people that create the content that do that self-service yeah, work. Yeah. The people they're serving, but both yeah. of those, I mean, yeah. the people who create the content as well, because yeah. it's very easy to to assume that this data uh, can be used for X, Y, and Z. 
And a lot of the times it can't, because uh, that was never the intended purpose for it. But yeah, absolutely, it's also the people who then are given the information and have to make a decision about it. I am more, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about both of those. I think it's important to make sure both parties um, know and understand and have the capability and the literacy of, of, of the data to, to um, make the right decisions. So if I look at it from another lens, and the lens of friction, right, so the thing I've learned over the last few years working with different teams and, and trying to say how do we take this agile mindset and, and create some patterns for data and analytics teams versus, you know, app development teams um, or digital transformation teams, I kind of came up, you know, came to this concept of friction, right, and, I, and the way I explain it is if we look at Beam as a way of event modelling, what, what that gave us was uh, a way of removing the friction from the business analyst getting requirements for data to the modeller and developer that's actually building the models under yes. the covers. If I think about the information product template and, and that concept, and um, actually I've got a I'm just working on a canvas for it now, which is, is taking oh, cool. the document and turning it into an A3. Nice. Um, so hopefully that's going to rock. That removes the friction of how do we very quickly get out of a business owner or SME or, in this case, a prototype, you know, something that's been prototyped, um, into something that the rest of the development squad can understand, you know, right. what business questions yeah. we're answering, what's the action going to be taken from it, what's in and out of scope for the information product, how do we size and prioritise it. Yeah. Done some work around uh, defining the rules, you know, in a repeatable way, so how do we take ETL and turn it into business language for rules yeah. um, to remove the friction of, well, when you say we're defining an active wholesale customer, actually, yeah. is this yeah. the definition of it? Is this what we have to do to the data to get that for you or not? Yeah. Um, so they're removing that friction. So I've got, I've got two things I want to talk about in that. One is uh, that form of uh, language to remove the friction um, between prototype and production, and then data catalogs, are they the new cool way of doing this? So let's go back to that. Do you, do you think in, you know, in terms of uh, information products and being, being able to take a prototype that somebody's done, have you been able to use those templates and populate them faster, therefore reducing the friction from prototype to production? Yes, absolutely. I think that's, um, that, that, that makes things a lot easier um, to, understand the, to, to understand how to model the data in an appropriate way um, and how it fits in with the rest of the data that you have. Is it still the production team filling those out, or have yes. you got to a stage where the people doing the prototype understand no, them no, enough? No, no, no. no. So no. they can populate them as so they go. The, so again, um, the people who do the prototype don't care about that. So it's not that's that's not of their interest, and I don't think it should be, because that that is that is our responsibility to make sure that we we do that in a way for our. To manage our own systems, our own data systems. Yeah, but but look, I, I, I'm going to challenge you on that one. I, yes, I agree that actually the overhead of filling out those templates for a prototype that's not going to be moved to production, yeah. I get it, right? It's a waste of bunch of effort. You don't, you don't care about removing that friction because it's never going to turn up. Yeah. But there must be uh, a way that... Um, we can find that middle ground where it's something they know will be productionized or they have a feeling. Just purely because what I found is once you educate somebody around those templates, they can naturally fill them out, right? And as long as the effort, and this is why we're kind of, I'm doing the IP canvas at the moment, because I have this theory that, you know, we can actually fill it out in 10 minutes if we know most of the questions. 
Yeah. Uh, or no, and even if we don't, we've got gaps in it. That's fine, right? It just means well, you know that's 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 a fair assessment. Uh, I haven't actually really thought about doing that or um, uh, pushing for people to do that, but it's maybe something that we can definitely try mm -hmm. and see. I, about I, yeah, let's take the beam one, right? Um, what I'd look to experiment with is not enforcing it, right? Not yeah. saying you have to fill out this beam template. No, but, it, it, yes. but, but saying when you write your code for your yeah. data, if you can think about who does what, because yeah. we all know that those words are magic words for some reason, yeah. then you're educating with some literacy around, you know, light modelling uh, based on business events. It's words they'll understand. You know, even if they just gave you a... A document with five stickies, you know, which is you know, customer orders product mm -hmm. is the thing mm -hmm. I'm modelling. Um, uh, and that's that's actually pretty. I'm just now thinking um, because when we do training and training people on how to build their own apps and, and information products, um, it's actually something that we can incorporate in the training. It's like, well, when you when you develop your um, your app and you are going through the process of acquiring the data and stitching it together, as part of that, you can actually incorporate the the who does what, who and where, and so on, because that will actually also help you crystallize the output that you need uh, for this particular exercise that you're uh, embarking on. Yeah, and actually, um, Lawrence was over here this year, last year, um, and what he's done is he's taken the, the Bean Canvas, which is the kind of A3 where it's got, I don't know if you've seen it, where it's got yeah, box yeah, yeah, yeah. and what, yeah. and he's now actually uh, starting off the workshops of his customers with the Bean Canvas first, and then go down to the beam table. Mm. So what I'm wondering is actually, again, it's about friction, right? You don't want to have, the beam table's probably a lot of detail for them to fill out, but if they had the canvas and like a PowerPoint and all they had to do was draw on, you know, some colored stickies, so they've got the who's, the what's, the where's, and that's an artifact that they always produce. It's, it should be a I, I, that's, that's, job. that's a great idea, and I, I think I think we should we should try that, and I'll, I'll let you know. Give it yeah. a go, yeah. yeah. Go away and do it yeah, yeah. Give it a go, and then see. very good idea. Yeah, will it work or will it not? Um, and so the next one is data catalogs, right? So they're the new hot call. Yes, thing. they are. Um, um, it's all over the place. All over the place. Yeah. Um, and they're really useful. Again, like you know, again, if I talk about our domain, it's one you know we should have always uh, documented, described what we do with data, and we yeah. typically never do. But from a prototype to production, you know, if they're prototyping in your tool. Yeah. And your tool's integrated with a catalogue. Yes. Shouldn't that give us some insight on what they're doing in a way that reduces the I, friction I of think redevelopment? I, I, I think there's a lot of value in that, yes. Mm. Um, however, at the moment, I can't see... I, 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 can't, I can't justify um, the cost involved in doing that right now. Um, but I can certainly see in a few years' time, um, our organisation at least, um, will have to do that. Um, and that there will certainly be value in doing anything. We're still on, on, on our path to, to maturity, um, so we're not, we're not quite there yet, we don't quite have that need yet. But the, these, these data cataloging, cataloging tools um, is really going to be very important um, in a few years' time for us at least, and I think for a lot of organisations already important. Because there's such a wealth of data out there, and getting your head around what, is, what can be used for what, um, it's getting harder and harder. Uh, you know, people talk about big data or whatever. It's not the it's not the death of the data. It's the breadth of the data that we have to that we have to really try to get our heads around. Um, and New Zealand, particularly, you know, we, because there's so much information available from all kinds of sources, um, from different government organisations, departments, 
um, you know, with Stats New Zealand's um, integrated data infrastructure, which is also a wealth of information. But it is so wide and so vast that it's really hard to get your head around it. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think we'll see data. I think they're almost a new black. Um, yes. So right now they're kind of, you have to buy a dedicated one um, yeah. and they're not cheap. No, um, we'll start seeing that capability becoming more and more into the end-to-end -end products again yeah. um, as we go through that, that cycle of consolidation. Yeah. So, you know, I'm still working with a bunch of squads where we're still going for that Nirvana, which is in a three-week duration we can go from uh, uh, an idea um, to acquire the data, transform the data, load the data and visualise it right, in a, a three-week cycle. Um, so, you know, one of the squads I'm working with at the moment, it was interesting, you know, we're starting the journey and it was interesting, um, they, the data they're pulling out is all API based uh, from a, you know, they have to do API calls to the system um, and they had written, you know, the calls to that system for the API uh, and for one of the other products, information products, that was all good. Um, so we came into a, another information product that was going to leverage some new data from that system but we had an acquisition um, way of working that we knew worked. But unfortunately for the data they, they went to hit, the API worked completely differently. Um, so they couldn't, they had to write another you know, bunch of code yeah. to, to make that API work. Effectively the squad's sitting there and, and is like, okay, that's going to be two to three days for, for the engineers to write that new API call yeah, the data yeah. in, but the rest of the squad are sitting there going, well, you know, we yep. need to understand the data, model it, all that kind of good yeah. stuff. So what the engineer did is said, well, that's fine, all I'll do is I'll do quick manual, you know, I'll run the API manually, download the data, dump it into to an area for you to play with, and then I'll harden up the acquisition code while you carry on. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so cool. for your agile, your core agile team, not the prototypers, yeah. Um, are you applying a prototyping technique? Yes, uh, in the well, way they work well, where, we, where we need to. Yes, yeah. we create we create some um, what we call just calling it like dummy data or whatever mm -hmm. the case might be, um, just to have it in a structure that you can then reuse to develop further, um, with the intent then to harden that up exactly like that. So we've done that a few times. We either it was a new thing that we we haven't collected yet, so we had to come up with things to collect it, or it was something that we are we're going to change quite substantially we these new attributes that we don't have, so we just made some attributes up, um, just to not have people sitting around um, and wasting uh, wasting time, well, well actually all you need is just something and you can go ahead and do the rest of it, so yeah. Yeah, it's just making sure that your 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 resource management really. Mm. Yeah, well, optimization of the team, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you know, the squad, so that it's not you know half of them sitting around waiting. Yeah, uh, when they could be makes sense. Work. Uh, you know, uh, more risk because sometimes, sometimes you can't do that, yep. unfortunately. Um, but I think I think we we've had a few times that we could do that. Yeah. Okay. Because awesome. people find BAU to do, don't they? And they fill that void. BAU, which still has value, but yeah, you know, yeah, the, it, yeah. it's uh, not focused on the, the main thing. Well, we'll, we'll always have a backlog. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something to do, right? Yeah, Apart from what the <laughs> is. So kind of just closing out then, um, so let's talk about anti-patterns, right? So, you know, what are the top things? So this concept of self-service prototyping outside the, the kind of managed data team yeah. uh, and then moving it back into reinvesting and, and hardening and reuse and, and all those good things. Uh -huh. What are some of the end patterns? What are some of the things you would suggest people watch out for 
um, as uh, not so good ways of working if they if they try and adopt this practice or pattern. Well, okay, so one of the things would be not to just copy and paste the code mm -hmm. back into your warehouse, but actually taking the time to understand what has been done and properly structure it. Okay, because it's easy to just take a bunch of code and just create a view for it, which is highly inefficient. Um, it does a whole bunch of things that should not be in the view, for instance, but should, you should actually have created additional fact tables um, for that particular purpose and properly layering it. So you, you need a well-disciplined data modeler to go through that and understand what the intent is. So, so on that, so we'd, we'd create some form of definition of done that when you're grabbing a prototype and you're replumbing it, yes. he, here's the but, yeah, here's it, the it, but it has to be reviewed by, you know, say, say your data architect as well, yep. the data warehouse architect. There needs to be peer review of these mm -hmm. things. So, you know, that, that's really important. It's, it's easy to, to, to do something in a quick and dirty way. Um, and not have to worry much about it until next year when for some reason something breaks and then you have to spend three weeks trying to fix it. Um, that is the, that's the main thing for me is to make sure that we, we do things the right way. Okay. Um, so there's a right time and there's a right way yep. as well. Okay. So definition of done to, to make sure we haven't cheated when we've spent the time trying to harden and make yes. it reusable. What I'd also suggest though is actually definition of ready. Um, having yeah. something where we say actually mm. for a prototype to be accepted for that rebuild, um, here's the things we need. Almost back to that friction, yes, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, there, yep, there, there, are, there are things we, like that yeah, as okay. well. Right. Um, it's it's the maturity of the data sources that's being used. Okay, you know, it's if it's just something that somebody put together in a spreadsheet, well, then there's a lot of questions whether that's appropriate um, for using something that is a that should be a production information product. Right. But if somebody just came up with a bunch of a list of something. Um, so we have to put a proper government process okay. around that as well, then if it's master data, newly created master data or something like that. There's, there's a lot of data governance issues that need to be addressed and making sure you do, again, you know, you can take a lot of shortcuts, you can do things in a quick and dirty way, but making sure you do it the right way. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank it's, you. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, thanks very a lot. Cool. Yeah, and uh, we might get you back on to pick another subject in, in a few months' time. And I'd be happy to. Go around again. Cool. Excellent. All right, well, we'll catch you all later. All right, see you later. You've been listening to another podcast from Blair and Shane, where we discuss all things Agile BI. For more podcasts and resources, please go to agilebi.guru.